On a cold evening in January of 1999, Tika Lewis's parents took their two-year-old for a night of bowling. Her mother left Tika playing on an arcade game for just a moment while she took her turn bowling. When she looked back, her daughter had vanished. Welcome back to Missing. I am Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I am doing very well, Tim. How are you? I am doing pretty well. And this is part two of our discussion on the disappearance of Tika Lewis from Tacoma, Washington on January 23rd, 1999. We are joined by our coworker and cohort, Jennifer Amell, as we break down this mysterious and extremely tragic disappearance. That's correct. Uh, feel free to listen to part one if you haven't already. In this episode, we get into the subsequent investigation and where it stands today, plus some other suspicious activity, some some other cases of that type of potential abduction, child luring in that area of Tacoma, right around the area of the bowling alley that Tika went missing from. And we do this to paint the picture that there's more to this story than just simply one very young individual being abducted, potentially. There's, there's a lot more going on, or there was a lot more going on in that area. And again, if anybody has any information at all about Tika's disappearance or any of the other incidents that happen in that area, you are directed to contact the Tacoma Police Department. That's Detective Larry Lindbergh at 253-798-4721. And Tim, I believe the FBI is still involved. Yeah, the FBI still is involved and you can contact your local FBI office if you've got any information. So thanks a lot for listening. We really appreciate it. Please follow us on social media at MissingCSM. Thank you. Welcome back to Missing Jennifer Amell for the second part of the discussion on Tika Lewis's disappearance. How are you, Jen? I'm doing very well. I'm excited to get into the investigation of Tika's disappearance. Um, as we know, Tika Lewis was a two-and-a-half-year-old little girl who went missing from Tacoma, Washington in January of 1999. And she was with her parents at a bowling alley. And when the parents took their turn to go bowling, uh, they turned around for 30 seconds to a minute and their child was gone. And we did a lot of the uh, coverage about that night and the area geographically, plus the bowling alley. We talked a lot about that in the first episode. And you just mentioned, Jen, that you're excited to get into more of the investigation and, and events that happen afterwards uh, in, the, in the subsequent years. What, what, what stands out to you right off the top? Just the sheer number of tips that came in about this case. I mean, this was a massive search effort on behalf of law enforcement. So kudos to them. Um, but even as late as January of 2012, we get another tip in, and this is on the 13th year anniversary of Tika's disappearance. There was a new detective assigned to the case, and 
uh, they went about re-reviewing about 700 tips. Yeah, that is a a lot of tips. Um, obviously, this case seemed to get a lot of media attention, a lot of public attention. Disappearance of a young girl in a very public location strikes fear into the community. You can see why. And uh, so this new detective, Detective Ward, noted that three of the tips involved incidents of children that were approached by a stranger in and around New Frontier Lanes. So three other tips involve strangers approaching children. Yeah, at that same bowling alley that Tika disappeared from. And it makes me wonder if this was, I guess, an unwritten location for something like that. If it was some area that that predators, I guess, knew about, you know what I mean? Like, was this a place where they would commonly go to to scope victims and even escalate to uh, the incident that happened on November 29th of 1998, where which was two months before Tika's disappearance, there was a four-year-old boy who was found lying on the floor of the bathroom of New Frontier Lanes. He had been sexually assaulted. The boy's father notified the security guards and assumed they had called the Tacoma police, but they didn't. He didn't find out until the day later that no one had reported the crime. Um, but the suspect was described as a white male with brown curly hair and a beard, possibly with a hat that had husky across the front. Security guards thought he was a regular but didn't know his name. And as a side note, these were private security, not off-duty police, because the night of Tika's disappearance, if you remember, uh, there was an off-duty police officer there who was working as a security guard. This was not the case, though, for this night. So I'm wondering, you know, they have these incidents. There's a couple more. Is this where predators knew to go, where they could scope out potential victims? Yeah, it's either like that this is a, a place where lots of children come to on a regular basis you know, to have fun and to bowl and stuff. Or could it be that it's one particular individual who used this bowling alley as their quote unquote hunting ground? And does that description sound like the other description that we were discussing in the previous episode of someone who potentially was involved in Tika's disappearance, the person who was driving the, the Grand Am? Well, the brown hair certainly uh, checks the box. I think, obviously, the, the pockmarked face is something that comes up over and over, and I believe a mustache. So this is just kind of a beard. You know, it could be. Very well could be the same person. And a few weeks before Tika's disappearance at another Saturday night bowl, a six-year-old boy was in the arcade area of the New Frontier Lanes when his mom noticed a stranger bent down talking to her son while holding the boy's hand. As his mom went to confront the man, she heard him say that he was the boy's father, which he was not. And security escorted the man out, but again did not call the Tacoma police. And that man was described as a white male with brown hair. Again, private security and not off-duty police. The reason why we mentioned that this was just a security officer at the bowling alley is that if it was a police officer, there would have been some sort of complaint filed. There would be some paper trail on this incident. But because it was private security, it wasn't reported anywhere. So when they were uh, going about investigating Tika's case, they didn't have you know, a case file from that location to pull from and say like, hey, look, um, this has happened before. And it just so happens that like by January of 2012, when they got the new detective ward on the case, they found out that these um, incidents of this white male with brown hair approaching children um, had never been properly followed up on. And it's too bad that the uh, warning signs were not properly followed up on, as you said, because 
The first one that we mentioned was two months before Tika's disappearance. The second one was a, a few weeks before the disappearance. And this one, a few hours before the disappearance, sort of confirms that this is possibly the same individual. At about 2 p.m., at about 2 p.m., a father with his two kids were at a park less than a mile away from the bowling alley. He noticed a stranger near the bathrooms who was motioning for the two kids to come with him, which is an incredibly eerie image to paint in your in your head. The father Father chased the man. That man jumped into a blue 1995 Pontiac Grand Am and drove off. Also described as a white male with brown hair and a baseball cap. Yeah, uh, this is incredibly interesting because as we just touched on before and in the previous episode, there was a sighting of a Pontiac Grand Am speeding out of the parking lot the night Tika disappeared. And in that report of the vehicle speeding out of the parking lot, they noted that it was a maroon Grand Am, but as you know, at night, you can confuse the color of a vehicle. So it is possible that this is a blue uh, Pontiac Grand Am that the police should be looking for and not a maroon one. So this is like, I think, potentially a case-breaking detail to uncover in these other incidents. Oh, for sure. And the fact that he was doing this at a park that was close to the bowling alley suggests that the bowling alley wasn't his only hunting grounds that he probably was trying to do this at, at the park that was close to the bowling alley. Maybe there's a, a, a shopping mall that's also close. Sounds like he's at least very familiar with the area or he's a local, but he was never identified, which is very frustrating that he's described as a regular, potentially this guy described as a regular at the bowling alley, and no one knows his name and no one knows any details about him aside from you know the physical descriptions. Yeah, and it seems like they didn't try to do a composite sketch to release to the public either which is unfortunate uh, because with several eyewitness accounts of what may be the same man, you could have a pretty good composite sketch. So if the police had anyone in mind, if they were considering anybody a suspect that matched this person's description, they certainly didn't relay that to the public. And in the last two cases, it seems that the parents must have got a pretty decent look at the suspect because... I mean, they're basically chasing the guy away. So yeah, it seems very confusing why there's no composite sketch. In light of the fact that the search for Tika and that investigation just brought in so many tips. Kind of kind yeah. of frustrating. And with the amount of activity in the area, too, um, with these attempted abductions, it's just a head-scratcher. And within six weeks of Tika's disappearance, four attempted abductions were also reported in the Tacoma News Tribune. And they were not associated with Tika's case, as the children were in an older age group than Tika was, but were all in an area of Tacoma not far from New Frontier Lanes and within a two-week period. And it was also reported that the description of the suspect matched in all of the cases. But again, that description wasn't noted in the newspaper reports. And so it seems like this this description wasn't really blasted out there too widely. And do we know if it was the same description, the the man with the brown hair and the and the facial hair? Or is this just saying that the description of the suspect in these four cases matched? I think it was um, that the suspect in all of these four attempted abductions were similar descriptions. I'm not sure if they matched the descriptions mm. of the assailant like in the previous ones that were in New Frontier Lanes or in that park. But we wouldn't know that because the description wasn't put out there by the media at all. That's right. right. Yeah, but it, it looks like uh, a, a couple of vehicle descriptions were put out, and one was a, uh, a red two-door vehicle, and one was maroon and green station wagon. So there's a lot of similarities to these um, eyewitness sightings. 
And you said the age range for the children, they were a little older than Tika. So that was one of the reasons why her case, her abduction was not connected with these four attempted abductions. Uh, 12-year-old boy, 11-year-old girl, 7-year-old girl, 15-year-old girl. Yeah, exactly. And I guess they're they're not all the same gender, too, which can be some a detail of note if it is um, a sexual predator. So let's go through a little bit more of the investigation here. Interestingly, in July of 2012, it was reported that a home was searched that belonged to a man convicted of child luring at another bowling alley. And Tika's mom, Teresa, stated that police had told her that this man, during a police interview, had said that he had seen and talked to Tika at the bowling alley the night she went missing. Well, that's a little unnerving because three cadaver dogs, they alerted in his backyard. The area was dug up, but nothing was found. Upon further investigation, the Tacoma police do not consider this man a suspect of Tika's abduction. And this man denies even telling the police that he had seen or spoken with Tika and claims he had never heard of her. But that story came from somewhere, right? Like he he might have said it. He, he might have just been messing around. But what's unnerving to me is that there's another person in that area who claimed to have spoken with Tika the same night that somebody most likely abducted her. And this guy also was convicted of child luring, which how many are there in this area that night in that bowling alley? Yeah, I mean, this is coming from Teresa, Tika's mother, too. I mean, she seems to have recognized this man and said that she saw him at the bowling alley talking to Tika. I mean, it could be that she was mistaken on his identity, but what are the chances of another uh, sexual predator of children was luring children in another bowling alley and that this had nothing to do with Tika's disappearance? But I guess we have to take the police at their word here that they did their due diligence and uh, cleared this man of Tika's disappearance. Yeah, it's tough to cut him some credit in this case, uh, knowing that some of the leads haven't um, been followed up on. Um, but uh, it does seem like some some good detectives are working on the case now, which is good to hear. On January 26th of 2020, 21 years after Tika's disappearance, another new detective was assigned to the case and looked at the tip from the teenager that saw two suspicious men at the bowling alley and realized that the men had never been identified. And it was re-released into the news as a new tip, and people were urged to try to remember if they saw a man with a pockmarked face at New Frontier Lanes the night of Tika's disappearance. So the detective actually re-interviewed this teenage witness um, who said that he'd been to the bowling alley several times before Tika's disappearance on January 23rd of 1999. And the guy stated, it's the kind of place people can go with their families and kids just roam around. And at this time, the detective focuses on only one of the two men that this teenager had seen, the man with the pockmarked face. The witness states that he remembers his face very clearly as he was holding a little biracial girl's hand heading into the bathroom, and then bumped into the teenager as he was coming out. He thought the man was very rude for not excusing himself, but just figured he was a father trying to get his little girl to the bathroom quickly. He describes the man as white, uh, about 5'11", with a husky build with shoulder-length brown curly hair and a thick mustache. He had a heavily pockmarked face and was wearing a blue plaid shirt and faded jeans. Well, this is pretty good that this is all recent information, I guess, you know, some, somewhat recent, you know, from January 2020. Uh, the eyewitness seems to have a pretty good memory of um, that man. And, uh, and again, this is really great that the detective is going back over this. Yeah. And you might be thinking, like, why this teenager didn't 
sort of like make a bigger deal about this 21 years before. But the teenager, who I'm assuming now is a grown man, he, he said he didn't notice the announcement that Tico was lost um, or that anything else was, you know, remiss at the bowling alley after he saw this stranger with the little girl. I guess it's possible that he left before the announcement was made and that everybody was made to stop what they were doing, stop bowling and help look for Tika. But he did note that when he left with his parents that there were police in the parking lot um, and says they weren't given any information about what was going on or why they were there. And it wasn't until a couple of days later when he saw a news report of Tika's disappearance that he realized that she was the little girl he saw and what he saw might be pretty important to the investigation. So um, he called the police and reported the incident at that time. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. Right, because what he thinks he saw was Tika and this man, apparently, walking hand in hand, huh? So potentially right before they left the building. Yeah, precisely. And we get a little bit more of the description of of this um, person who was seen with Tika, and that for sure matches the description of all the other incidents previously mentioned. He was white, um, curly brown hair. Facial hair, I mean, his his account was a mustache, I believe, and other, other people's accounts were a beard. But I wonder if you might use those words interchangeably for facial hair. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think that happens sometimes. And uh, if you have a beard, technically you have a mustache too, um, you know. Yeah, you could have a goatee or something. You could have like, mm-hmm. a, you know, some scruffiness going. So... Absolutely, I think that that could be uh, that could be interchangeable. But really, the the pockmarked face that that's the thing that keeps coming up, and you could see somebody with a pockmarked face, and it might not be that serious, so you don't really notice it. This must have been pretty serious because he keeps popping up. That description keeps popping up, and as the information that you just described to us, as that came to light, it was also reported that the same detective found another tip. About a week after Tika's disappearance, they were filming a reenactment at the bowling alley and a witness reported that there was a man watching the filming who was acting strange enough for her to call the police. So his behavior alerted her to the point where she felt the need to call the police. And guess what? She describes that man as having a pockmarked face. I'm dying to know what he was doing, like how he was acting strangely. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like I don't know what that means. I guess you'd know if you see it, but it's hard for me to picture what that what that means. I guess given the context of why everyone was there, they're filming the reenactment of Tika's disappearance. And I guess most people would be at some level of high alert, you know, maybe hyper aware of the people around them. But exactly what are you doing what are you doing that's so strange that she's going to call the police? I find it interesting that if they were filming at the bowling alley, that it would be open to the public at the same time as filming. Like sometimes you have a closed set for these types of things and only people who give their names are allowed on there. But I guess it wasn't the case that people are just kind of doing their thing at the bowling alley and they brought news cameras in there to film this. But I wonder if they have any kind of list of uh, people who were on set that day. Well, we do know that the police had a photo of a man with a pockmarked face because in November of 2020, detectives showed Teresa this photo of this man who they believe was at the bowling alley the day of Tika's disappearance. And Teresa said, when they showed me the picture, all I could do is cry. 
I remembered the guy from the bowling alley. And if that's the case, there's no way Tika is here right now. And I wonder what she means by that, too. Like, uh, did he give her a bad vibe? I mean, she remembered him. Um, it's interesting. And Therese goes on and describes him as a white male with brown hair and pockmarks in his face and said, this is not the kind of man you want around your children. So I guess so. Yeah, uh, I think Teresa was perhaps holding out hope that Tika was with an ex-boyfriend or her father, or maybe she was taken by somebody who, who might care for her, even though it's, of course, illegal and reprehensible to take a child that's not your own. But I think she maybe thought that Tika was out there somewhere living her life. But I suppose this man just didn't look like the type of guy who wanted to care for a child, but who wanted to harm a child. Uh, relevant in, in today's social media world, Teresa also said she recognized him as a man who follows the Facebook page that she runs dedicated to finding Tika. So, so really eerie that this person, at least up until late 2020, was still making the rounds in regards to Tika's disappearance. He was still monitoring what was going on in the investigation and within the community that's on Facebook at least. Uh, but police are, are not calling this man a person of interest at the time that we know of, but he just keeps coming back up and, and following the Facebook page and monitoring what's going on and possibly going to any sort of vigil that might be uh, happening. I'm wondering how many other people have experienced this person and, and haven't realized it yet. And if you do want to check out that Facebook page, it is Help Find Missing Tika Lewis. Tika is spelt T-E-E-K-A-H Lewis, L-E-W-I-S. Yeah, and I think Teresa still believes that Tika is alive. And she, at the suggestion of the police, has submitted her DNA to genealogical websites in hopes that someday Tika may submit it as well and search for her biological family and that they might be matched and reunited. And then if the story couldn't get any crazier or more tragic, um, in June of 2012, Tika's sister was also the victim of an attempted child luring inside of a store. So Tika's sister um, met a potential abductor in the store, but this abduction was not successful. So she's not missing right now. She's, you know, back with her mother. But what are the chances of Tika and her sister facing the same scenarios? It makes me wonder if this guy is just like kind of following the family and if it was even the same person who tried to abduct Tika's sister. But, you know, can't be sure. Yeah, some pretty amazing statistics here. In 1999, 1,315,600 children went missing, meaning that their caretakers did not know their whereabouts and were alarmed for at least one hour. Again, that's over 1.3 million children in 1999. And out of that number, 99.8% were located and returned home alive. So statistically speaking, very rare that they are not returned home alive. So less than a percentage, 0.2%. Yeah, I mean, it's almost common 
uh, to go missing in a, in yeah. a sense, 1.3 million. That's incredible. Um, an incredible number in a bad way. Um, but yes, almost all of them seem to return home alive. And to put more numbers on this, of those who went missing, 58,200 were categorized as non-family abducted. So that would be something that we're talking about in the case of Tika. Right, exactly. Um, uh, not necessarily a stranger abduction, but somebody who's not related to them. So that halves the chances that Tika and her sister would be abducted in that way. Uh, but teenagers were actually the most frequent victims of this category. And of those, only 115 were considered stereotypical kidnappings. So the demographics that may include Tika in this category show that of the 115, 20% were from the age of zero to five years old. Also of the 115, 65% were female, 20% were black, and the main perpetrator's gender was 86% male. And and we were just talking about non-family abducted as opposed to stranger or acquaintances. Uh, but a true stranger was the predator 71% of the time, where 29% of the time it was a slight acquaintance. So someone that the family or the victim knew. 29% of the time. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that counts as somebody who you've seen at a bowling alley a few times and maybe you know, given a head nod to. In terms of the outcomes for these missing children, 57% were returned home alive, 40% were killed, and only 4% were never returned or located. And of the 115 kidnappings that year, only 9% happened in winter. Basically breaking all this down to show people just how rare Tika's potential abduction was or is today. I mean, in the winter, her age range and just the immediacy to try to find her really just speaks to how rare this is. Yeah, some interesting statistics here. The percentage 9% happen in winter. I guess that's because um, less outdoor activities, you would think. So less opportunities. And yeah, with all of these circumstances and the rarity of it, it's not likely she would disappear and remain missing for so long, for over two decades. Despite her race, her disappearance has made it to national shows. It's made it to podcasts. We're talking about it. She's considered part of the missing and murdered indigenous women statistics as well. There is a similar uh, story of a disappearance of a small girl um, in this same area, and her name was Lenoria Jones. This was another girl that was statistically too old for a baby abduction and too young for a sexual predator abduction. She was three years old, and she was an African-American girl. She went missing on July 20th of 1995. And according to Lenoria's aunt, um, who was also her guardian, and seeking adoption of Lenoria, they were inside a Target store just a few miles from New Frontier Lanes when Lenoria went missing. And there was some surveillance video, and it showed that the aunt had entered the store alone. The aunt's story later changed to that she knew where Lenoria was, but refused to tell the police, um, saying that Lenoria went missing in the parking lot of Target. Her story has remained inconsistent, and she has never been charged in this case, and Lenoria is still missing. And yeah, you you saying that story isn't so much this could be connected to Tika, Mm-mm. it is simply to, uh, I guess, paint the picture. Yeah, I mean, that would fall into the greater statistics of like a family abduction, that the, or, uh, the person that 
the child knows is responsible for their disappearance. And Tika's disappearance has really helped change child disappearance and abduction cases across the nation. On February 6th, 1999, there was an event held at the Tacoma Mall to photograph and fingerprint children that was prompted by Tika's disappearance. And they were prepared to handle 10,000 kids that weekend. And then there's the Tika Lewis Act. It was signed off by the governor later that year, and it designated $540,000 for the following two years to create a special task force within the Washington State Patrol to assist agencies with disappearances of children. Antica's mom, Teresa, holds yearly candlelight vigils for Tika in January and asks that toys and clothing for children be donated at the event to help other children in need. All this being said, I think it's possible that Tika Lewis's uh, disappearance can be solved with the help of the public. Um, if you have any information concerning this case, please contact the Tacoma Police Department. Um, ask for a detective, Larry Lindbergh. Uh, that number is 253-798-4721.